Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira. And today we're going to be talking about Ohio versus Michael Dixon in the death of James Whitaker. Before I jump into it, I just want to say, hey, thank you so much for joining me. This is something that I really enjoy doing. It's one of my favorite hobbies. And do not forget to like and follow Storytime Slayer on Facebook and Instagram. That is where I release all the footage, pictures, videos, anything related to these case files. Also, feel free to email me at storytimepods at gmail.com. I've yet to get an email from a listener. Email me. You can also send me through Messenger your any requests, comments, questions, concerns. But let's get started. So the victim in our story is James Whitaker, and he was a true outdoorsman. He lived in a cabin that he actually built himself, by the way, on a hill in south of Bloomingville, Ohio, which is, I believe, in the Appalachian foothills. So he enjoyed fishing, hunting, carpentry, working on cars, and racing. He was a widower when the love of his life, Diane, passed away from cancer in 2017. They were married 35 years, which is impressive. And they had four daughters, Jody, Julie, Jennifer, Jessica. And then they had a bonus daughter, Felicia, which accumulated nine grandchildren. Wow. James and Diane's family was described as a nice, traditional, good family. James had always been known to be generous and allow people to utilize his shop where he had an array of tools for them to work on their cars and such. He was smart, motivated, and overall like a really good, simple man. James Whitaker was 56, though, when he was reported missing. He had called his mother on July 3rd and then was not heard from ever again. The daughters would talk to their dad and sometimes even stop by his house for visits. So when they hadn't heard or seen him by July 25th, they were convinced something was very, very wrong. Jim was known to be out of pocket for a few days here and there, but he would always respond with like a week. So when three weeks went by and no one could get a hold of him, they made a public plea to help find him. And I'm actually going to read you the public plea and there are photos to help identify him with it, which I'll have posted to Storytimes, Facebook and Instagram. So here is what the public plea said. Hi, my name is Jim or James Whitaker Jr., I'm quite a bit thinner now, remember there's pictures, and am a diabetic. I have a heart history and may or may not be in a safe place. I'm estranged from most of my family and friends and allowed two individuals into my home. I trusted them and allowed them to possibly take advantage of me. I last called my mother and have not since been heard from on July 3rd, 2020. I am missing. This is not a hoax or a ploy. I am gone without a peep for three weeks. I have a missing persons report. Any information regarding my disappearance, please contact Hawking County Sheriff Office directly at phone number listed. At the end of the day, all those he thought didn't care does and those he thought wouldn't miss him do. And all his those are praying for his safe return. Pray for answers and resolutions. He lost his wife to cancer, so please give his family peace. Please share. Okay, so that was the public plea for help that the family had put out. When police began investigating the disappearance of James, they first interviewed friends and loved ones. 
His good friend and roommate Michael said James was not himself lately and had been potentially suicidal. Then he found a suicide note supporting this claim. Now, it's really important to mention that the police never get the actual suicide note. They got a picture of it from a relative or family friend who I believe is probably Michael. And here is what the note said. Maybe I thought we all cared about each other, but didn't know what I was doing. I care for you, Mike, Melody, and if we become more of a family, our lives would be great, better than they had been. I seen you, Mike, as someone I was looking out for, and Melody I fell in love with, not knowing how things were between you. She showed me the woman she is, being lonely and giving human care and love, not thinking of her wanting you and what you have together. I'm at the end of this life. I'm hurting. I'm lonely without anyone. I didn't think I would matter again. I'm right. I don't. I'm giving my life so your pain goes away. And it is signed as Jimbo. By the way, nobody ever called James Jimbo. He went by Jim or Jimmy, but never Jimbo. Michael also weighed in that James often talked about suicide. He'd missed his wife terribly, and his kids didn't visit often, nor was he currently allowed to see his grandkids. So this made things a bit foggy in the investigation. So suicide because his wife died, he was distant from his family. Don't sound unreasonable things for somebody to become depressed about but I mean damn that suicide note sounded like on top of his personal family drama and the loss of his wife there was a sort of love triangle in James's life involving himself a woman named Melody and his friend slash roommate Michael remember in the plea for help it mentioned that James had been estranged from most of his family and he had two people living with him believed to be taking advantage of him The two people were Michael Dixon, who was 41, and his 18-year-old daughter, Melody Sue Dixon. Who the fuck are these people? So, Michael Dixon was a homeless man that had been doing odd jobs for James. Um, I guess Michael was kind of down and out on his luck, so James offered him to come live with him at his cabin. Michael lived there for two years, rent-free. Now, at some point towards the end of his stay there, Michael's 18-year-old daughter, Melody, came to live at the cabin and share a room with her father, Michael. According to Michael Dixon, he and James would do meth together on almost a daily basis, which we will for sure circle back to this dynamic. So here's my guessment of what happened. James is widowed. He's a simple country man and meets this guy named Michael Dixon, who's a bit younger than him. They had their share of fights, but also enjoyed a lot of their time together and had similar interests and hobbies. I think James was either already dabbling with meth, and that's how he and Michael crossed paths and became friends, or James began doing drugs after Michael moved in. I'm not sure how that whole situation arose, but I bet it's what caused James to be estranged from his family and complain about not seeing his grandchildren, if that was even true. I mean... Remember, this is like an alleged note. So in the weeks following James's disappearance, one of his daughters goes to the cabin to check things out, you know, peep it out, see if she can find any indication of where he could be. And not only was her dad gone, but all of his shit was gone too. Like all personal mementos gone. Any indication that he was a being that lived in that home and all the things he loved, they were all gone. His chair was there, um, but that was it. 
not even his TV, a 65 inch TV was even gone. And so she says, you know, like, where the fuck is my dad's TV? And Michael had literally no answers. He said that James took it. James took the TV and all his personal stuff and just took off on foot. 56 year old man grabbed all his stuff including his 60-inch TV, and just walked off into the woods. Okay, so next thing to do is talk to everyone and see if they know anything else. And while doing this, they actually managed to locate a lot of James' things through some really weird, sketchy people. If you listen to Sword and Scale, they have an episode about this case, episode 199, and there's some interview clips of the people who actually came across and had James's belonging. And my interpretation is it sounds like a lot of it was traded or sold by Michael. And I, I just have a feeling drugs were involved, okay? The people sound like they do drugs. So, at this point, all fingers are pointing to Michael. He's living in James's house in the cabin. Hasn't reported him missing, even though he obviously hasn't seen him in weeks. Recovered this very suspicious suicide note and has secretly been selling and trading all of James's belongings that he claimed James took off into the woods with. So... Something to mention is the day James's daughter went to the cabin and found all her dad's shit gone, she actually kicked Michael out. Good for her. And he and Melody went to go live with his stepdad. This all happened in a relatively quick sequence, by the way. So her going to the cabin and kicking Michael out is two days following the police report and the public plea for help. So as if it couldn't get worse, it does get worse. The man who bought and sold a gun from Michael said that he'd heard a rumor. The rumor was that Michael came home and had found James either in bed with, as in having sex, or making out with Melody, Michael's daughter. And in a fit of rage, he killed James. So police decide they need to investigate this and they think back to the suicide note which totally insinuated that there was some type of weird love triangle between Michael, Melody, and James. So, like, was Michael upset that James loved Melody is kind of what everyone's thinking. So it was July 27th when investigators arrested Michael on an old warrant and brought him in for questioning. So they started off and they used God and, like, God's divine forgiveness and a sort of uh, religious guilt to persuade Michael into a confession about what really happened to James. I would say the tactic was a little bit slow rolling at first, though. So Michael corroborated that James was really good to him. He'd taken care of most of Michael's needs for the last two years. And Michael said the last argument they had was months prior to his disappearance and that James was suicidal and wandered off with all his stuff into the woods. Maybe he ended up in a cave or a well or somewhere that he probably couldn't be found. Detectives keep pressing him. They keep using God's repentance to try and get Michael to confess. And the interrogation officer literally says, you believe in God, right? God forgives. Repent your sins. I can help you if you'd like. Still not working. Tactic is not working. Next, he sits right across from Michael, the investigator, and he grabs Michael's hand and he pleads with him to tell him what happened. 
He said James deserved a proper burial and to be treated like a human for how good he'd been to Michael. So Michael, really, please tell us what happened. And it sort of works. So Michael first says it was an accident. It was the early morning of July 5th or 6th at like 5 a.m. when he and Melody got to James's cabin. Melody had gone into the bathroom and James told Michael to kick rocks. He was he was kicking him out. Michael's getting kicked out. So Michael's standing there waiting for his daughter before they have to leave. And James said that he better leave or James was going to fucking kill him. And he also told Michael that Melody couldn't go with him. So out of retaliation or self-defense, Michael said he shot James, blowing half of his head onto the refrigerator. Michael then kicked James's gun away from his body just to be sure. And Melody started freaking out. So he told Melody just to go wait in the basement. That's where the bed Michael and Melody shared was. So she stays down there while Michael cleans up. And he said that he dragged James' body to the burn pile and then just began burning him, which took days. What Michael actually left out was not only did he drag his corpse to the burn pile, first he cut him up into a bunch of pieces before he placed him into the burn pile. Something really important is that Alan Jester testified the 4th of July, 2020, he and his lady were hanging out with another couple when Melody, Michael Dixon's daughter, came and asked to buy some gasoline. See, Alan Jester was a neighbor and had known James for a long time. And, you know, he told Melody, sorry, I don't have any because he didn't have any gasoline. And she went on her way. But Alan and his friends noticed that on her white sundress she had on, there was a significant stain that looked to be blood. The crime is believed to have taken place actually on the 4th of July, not the 5th or 6th, like Michael said. And Melody must have been in range when James got shot because of the blood on her. Obviously, Michael's lying. Next in the interrogation, investigators, though, begin pressing Michael about his relationship with Melody. He was adamant that they shared a bed, but obviously weren't having sex. And when investigators asked if maybe James was sleeping with Melody, Michael responded that, yes, he maybe thought they were. He said at first, Melody and James just smoked dope together. And by dope, I don't know. I, I believe he's referencing marijuana. And about a month before the incident, James tried to make a sexual move on Melody when they were smoking dope or hanging out, to which she denied his advances. Tension rose between them, so Melody and her dad went to go stay in a motel for a couple days. They came back, and everything seemed fine and smoothed out until about a month later, Michael shot James. What's crazy is there was a rumor that Melody and Michael were not just father and daughter, that they were lovers. And when news of this spread to people, most people actually weren't surprised at all. A friend said that they tried to get James to remove this pair from his home because they suspected that the father-daughter duo were having sex. And this was a person that hung out at James's house a lot, spending periods of time there. And he noted that Michael and Melody would go to bed at the same time. There was only one bed. And sometimes you could hear noises and movement that sounded like they were having sex. And the man who bought James's gun from Michael said that everyone sort of knew or heard that Michael and Melody were sleeping together. Supposedly, Melody's own sister, Destiny, saw her dad touching Melody sexually. And a woman who was friends with Melody said Melody told her that she'd been sleeping with her dad. And 
it didn't seem like it was a big deal to her. Nothing was wrong with it. Ugh. 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 So it's a rumor that the entire town was privy and believed to be true. So investigators, I think, really took it as, okay, I think this dude is having sex with his daughter. So investigators take all this information and they piece together a timeline of events. Michael had moved in with James two years prior and James took care of Michael. A few months before the incident, Michael's daughter Melody moved in. She just turned 18. Michael and his daughter began having a sexual relationship. Either Michael caught James with Melody or he suspected maybe James wanted to sleep with Melody. And in a fit of jealous rage, Michael went into the basement for a shotgun and came up and shot James from 18 feet away. Next, Michael cut him up and placed him into his own burn pile. He initially said Melody was in the bathroom when he shot James and then in the basement when he disposed of him. But because of that blood stain that the neighbor spotted on her dress, it was likely that Melody was in the vicinity of James when he was shot in the kitchen. She was also asking neighbors for gasoline, so she must have been a pretty big part of this murder cover-up. Then the couple went on to live at James's house as if nothing ever happened, slowly trading or selling all of his belongings until James's family came to the cabin to try and figure out where the fuck he was and had to run Michael and Melody off the property. After Michael confessed, he actually took investigators to the burn pile that he'd placed James's body in. And as CSI combed through, it was apparent James had been cut up into several pieces before being burned, thus making it hard to fully identify all his remains. Michael denied that he cut him up, but an analysis hypothesized that Michael used a hacksaw or a jigsaw. The only pieces of James that weren't recovered were his jawbone and teeth. Michael said that he'd crushed all James' teeth with a hammer, and then he kept a piece of his jawbone in a Tupperware container. Thus, Tupperware, though, was never located. So, Melody claimed... That she had nothing to do with it. And that her story was her and her dad got to James. James said Michael was to leave and Melody wasn't allowed to. Then James grabbed Melody by the throat and had a gun to her face. And of course, when Michael saw this, he got his shotgun from the basement and had to kill James. Dude, obviously nobody believed Melody. Michael was not a safe person to anybody in the eyes of his ex and his other children. In fact, Melody was the only kid not estranged from her dad, Michael, the only kid who wanted something to do with him. It was a local man unaware that James was missing who had traded a motorbike frame and part for James's 60 inch television, which Michael traded him. He actually lied to police, though, and said that he bought the TV for $100, not that he traded a motorbike frame in part for it. And I think he lied because I wonder if, like, maybe the bike was stolen or if it if he knew at some point it had been stolen and parted out or if it was traded for drugs. Anyway, this is some serious, like, mountain shit, you guys. According to ABC6 on your side, Quote, Dixon was found guilty on two counts of murder, each with a firearm, specification one count of felonious assault with a firearm, seven counts of tampering with evidence, one count of gross abuse of a corpse, and one count of engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. He was sentenced to 50 years to life in prison for his crimes. According to Logan Hawking Times, Melody was sentenced to three years in prison for each of the tampering with evidence charges 
and 12 months in prison for obstructing justice, three years to the other obstructing justice charge, and the sentence for the three tampering with evidence charges are to run consecutive, while the two obstructing charges run concurrent, which places Melody in prison for a total of nine years. Listen, guys, you got to be careful who you let in. Seriously. Keep your circle safe. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.